signatures detected. Shield up. Signatures detected. Context Southfleet Command. What's happening? Co- context Southfleet Command. Delay that order. Context Southfleet Command. This is the captain. Context Southfleet Command. Get out of my chair. 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 We have engaged the Klingons. Klingons. Welcome to The Greatest Discovery. It's a new Star Trek podcast from the makers of The Greatest Generation. I'm Ben Harrison. I'm Adam Pranica. How you doing today, Adam? I'm just sitting on the floor underneath the little uh, little attorney display full of comic books. <laughs> when do you grow out of sitting on the floor in a store? There's got to be a threshold there, right? Like... <laughs> You you get to be a certain age, the floor is not for you anymore. I think that is when it becomes plausible that you are sitting on the floor because you are too drunk. Oh, yeah, that's got to be it, right? Like when you're a kid, nobody ever thinks, this guy sitting on the floor must be doing it because he's shwasted and can't stand that well. But I want to say that like one of the hardest things in the world for me is like looking at at my friend's kids and guessing what their ages are like i i i can't do that like and like a kid could be four or they could be nine but like but if i were to see a kid sitting on the floor underneath a rack of comics i think high school is probably it right you're done yeah you're not sitting on the floor in high school i uh when i was doing my study abroad in dublin ireland um i had a friend who uh we we went to a movie and he drank a flask of Hennessy and, and like two tall boys of Scottish ale uh, while we were watching some some movie. It's a hell of a combination. And then we wanted to get a bite to eat afterwards. And uh, <laughs> there's this chain in Ireland that is a very thin uh, ripoff of Johnny Rockets. It's called Eddie Rockets. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that's you know, a, that's a great name. I know. <laughs> like, it's not a particularly faithful ripoff, other than like the aesthetics. But like, the, I don't know. The food was bad, but it was like we missed hamburgers. I guess was probably what drew us there in our drunken state. And we were waiting to be seated in, uh, like, I would equate to the uh, the Bubba Gump Shrimp Company in Times Square, kind of. Like it was, it was like that part of Dublin, like the most touristy part of Dublin that this restaurant was situated in. And we walk in and he was like too, he was too ripped to stand while we waited for our table. So he decided to just sit down cross-legged on the floor <laughs> and they kicked us out. Cause I'm sure that if you work in a restaurant in Dublin, an a, a American that's been overserved. Stepping across your threshold is something you have to deal with every single day. The floor really sends a message. <laughs> I know that feeling of like you're, you've been in a foreign country for a while and you just like one of the most fun parts of traveling is like trying out all the all the different foods. Like, yeah, I don't know about you, but like I would not be interested in eating at a Johnny Rockets or a Bubba Gump shrimp in America. But man... When you're like <laughs> at the airport ready to go home from a trip abroad, sometimes that is the that's the the scratch on that itch that feels so good, you know? Yeah. You and I were once in an airport in Mexico and That's uh, exactly the moment I was thinking of. That was the Bubba Gump, right? Yeah, my wife and I had to had to board our plane and we saw you and a couple of other our other buddies sitting around a 
like a cone of fried seafood in the middle of the table. I was so jealous. It was so good, man. It was so good. I've never eaten in a Bubba Gump in my life. That was, was my uh, first and only time. Yeah. I, I, I would have cut a limb off to go in there. A beige plate before a flight? Get out of here. That, that's just the best. We'll put yeah. you right down. Mm. What are you drinking? Glass of pebble ice and yellow Gatorade, it looks like. <laughs> I'm having a dark and stormy today. Wow. You were having a Cuba Libra the other day when I think that was when we were doing our Twitch, maybe. Yeah. 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 It was like, I have a, I have rum and a mixer. Yeah, you can't make the mistake of keeping a couple of Coke bottles in this house. I'm just going to get right into them with the rum. <laughs> Do you want to get into this comic book that we came here to review? Yeah, we've got the second half of this thing. This uh, this four issues has been squished into one, what do they call these? Graphic novels. Is it a is trade paperback the, the term used for when they put a bunch of individual issues into one? I like your idea because I feel like graphic novel sounds like something this is not, you know? <laughs> Right, it's it's like a, it's like a third the thickness of a graphic novel. Yeah, it's up to us to decide if if this magazine does the job. By the end of this discussion, uh, yeah. let's go ahead and get into the second half of Murder on the Edge. Too long a sacrifice. And now the conclusion. Do you realize how incredible this is? <laughs> No, of course you don't. This is, I guess, the opening couple of pages of the third of four issues in this comic series, and it is, uh, an, it appears to be an American film set in Mexico because <laughs> they've put the nicotine filter on the on the camera lens here. This has got to be uh, Felipe's work, right? When we're talking about color, I guess so. Yeah, this is this is specifically what he was here to do. I think this is more meant to be like the cut to black and white because it's a it's in the past. This is taking place in the past. This is a Betazoid detective guy remembering the kind of final moments that he and his family spent on Beta Z because uh, this is the depiction of the Jem'Hadar invasion of Beta Z. I wonder to what extent you are constrained to this color palette for this moment because uh, there is a there's a later moment in these final two issues that also serve as a flashback or or a, or a series of remembered events that uses yeah. a different color palette. And then finally, there's just the general dark palette of what it's like to be on DS9 during the investigation too. So, right. so like while I do smile at the Sicario-esque imagery of... <laughs> <laughs> of early Beta Z, like I don't know what other choice they have. It's interesting because Beta Z is is depicted as so lush in TNG, but it's a planet, so it's obviously got like lots of different environments, and it's kind of hard to tell how lush it is or isn't. This is a nude color scheme, is what it is. Mm. <laughs> when we're flashing back here, we get to meet Retlaw's daughter, and then we get to meet uh, the family pup. Yeah. Uh, who is reacting poorly to the fireworks that are being rained down upon them from orbit. Do you think a Betazoid dog is uh, is also empathic? Oh, that would be great. I, yeah, I, I would imagine that. I mean, well, 
relatedly, I wonder how much of a hit a betazoid would get off of a dog if you were if you were to be around one. Like, are they just inside <laughs> each other's heads all the time? Yeah, but it's like it's it, it's not that interesting. It's like you know you're, you're reading your dog, and it's like okay, he wants to hump my leg again. It's just crotch licking. Yeah. Um, so yeah, this is his memories of kind of rescuing his own daughter and their and their doggy from uh, Beta Z, and it's 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 pretty. I mean, it it kind of evokes Wolf three five nine in the in those last couple of frames, right? Like the the crowd of Federation starships trying to repel the Jem'Hadar ticks that are kind of raining down on the planet. So often we get. In the few instances of orbital bombardment, we see either the imagery from orbit and then a right. cut to later, like a passage of time happens, and then we see the destruction as a consequence. It's because it would be so expensive to shoot from ground level. Like you see this panel and you see all the people assembled and the yeah. fire raining down on them. Like this is why you don't see it on a TV show. Right. It would be too too costly to make the chain of mushroom clouds erupting across the horizon <laughs> on a television program. One thing that we don't get that I feel like we probably could on a TV show is just the idea of looking up at the sky and seeing a space battle happening in your near orbit yeah. or, or these things coming down. That seems more possible, but we also don't see that too often. Yeah. Seems to be kind of reserved for motion picture level special effects budgets for whatever reason. We see a lot of familiar class ships up in orbit. A couple of uh, couple of galaxy classes. Yeah. A couple of uh, Enterprise E class ships. Yeah. What's that class called? Yeah. Don't write it. Yeah. No one knows. But I only have room in my heart for the D. <laughs> but this is kind of a uh, like. This is this is how we get to know Retlaw a little bit better. He's not just a Brian Dennehy slash Brian Cox looking beta zoid investigator. He's got a past, and his past is uh, is a motivator for him in this case. Yeah, absolutely. It's really interesting. Like this character is introduced right at the end of the last book as like twist. Mm-hmm. Now there's this guy, and Odo's gonna have to deal yeah. and. Uh, it, this doesn't have really the structure of like a buddy cop thing where it's like two, like kind of a mismatched pair that have to team up and fight a crime. It doesn't really have uh, like it, it, the story isn't really about them being in conflict the entire time either. Uh, I thought it was interesting the way like Retlaw gets introduced in that way that it's like, what is this going to mean to Odo? Right. And pretty quickly they are, are collaborating, working together, talking about what the next steps in this investigation uh, will be. I mean, like, Retlaw has some misgivings about Odo. He is worried about working with somebody who is uh, of the same species as the founders and admits to Odo that he's going to have his guard up about that. But it's not, like, completely dominating his, his thoughts. Poor Odo must have to run into this every time he meets a new person anywhere with any right. with any sort of knowledge of what's happening in the galaxy <laughs> i'm not like them <laughs> not all founders right i disagree with my parents politics i'm sure you can relate to going home for thanksgiving and having an uncle 
spout some toxic opinion. It seems so long ago, but why did Odo stay on the station? Like at the beginning of Deep Space Nine, after the occupation. Like, I imagine Cisco moved in and and the Bajorans are like, hey, so this guy, like, he kind of <laughs> comes with. <laughs> I know, I know, like, this might be a little awkward, but, like, he really has no place else to go. Actually, according to the will, the cats own the house. I kind of think that that's what it is, right? Like, he doesn't have anywhere else to go. <laughs> he really doesn't. Like, we only know later on in those later Deep Space Nine seasons, though, like, just how much guilt there is that's, that he lives with about what happened during the occupation. And, boy, like, I, I could have appreciated more of that throughout, like, as an introduction to Odo, even. Yeah. Like, haunted... Like, he's got to make his wrong things right. You can't right. kick him off of the station, Cisco. He's got unfinished business to do. <laughs> that's never it. He's, he's established as, so, as like such a mysterious figure that, that slowly reveals himself to us as the seasons go on. I don't know. I just think yeah. that's interesting. I'm not going to wade in and into whether Deep Space Nine or Voyager are better at this point, but like in our reviews of Voyager so far in season one, I feel like Voyager just comes out so strong in season one in a way that it took Deep Space Nine and frankly TNG a lot longer to kind of get their feet under them and figure out some stuff to do. You want to get your space drunk episodes out of the way early? <laughs> Golden Cotton. The cut. Golden Cotton. So. So Ratlaw's looking around at this station and, uh, quote-unquote admiring the architecture and he's like you know uh there's probably a bunch of nude betazoid slaves building something just like this in orbit above my planet it's pretty sad to think about yeah centoc nor is being built in orbit of beta Z. yeah which uh i wonder if they leave it there you know like i mean the the dominion is is repelled and defeated at the end of uh, of DS9. Spoiler alert. That's such an interesting question about like the symbols of occupation. Like the it seems like the natural reaction would be to destroy them. Like yeah. s- like push Sentaknar into a an orbit that burns it up would be <laughs> my instinct. And yet when you see, you know, uh Teraknor used it's got to remain a reminder of that occupation in an uncomfortable way that I think would encourage the people who would choose to destroy it for that reason. Yeah. I think also, it, like, Deep Space Nine means something really different to Bajor because it was there for such a long time. But then it was moved. Yeah. And it could also be a symbol of of triumph also because it was... It was built and established there as this horrible symbol of occupation, but that the Bajorans overthrew their occupiers and took it, I think, could be a symbol of that victory. Yeah. I mean, I, I feel like the I feel like the occupation of uh of Beta Z probably lasts not long enough to for them to like put such such huge symbolism into mm-hmm. shit that the Dominion might or might not have built while they were there. Right. Well, Odo's like, uh, one of the things I do for guests is just kind of walk them around the station so they get a feel for the place. 
I point out plain simple Derek. Uh, get you erect, Gino. I ply you with questions about whether or not you're going to violate the regulation surrounding your use of mind reading in an investigation context. I love this. And Ratlaw's like, you know what? Uh, I'm on such an important mission that they actually suspended all of those rules for me. I can just <laughs> go into anyone's mind that I want. They've sent me here to do more than just take pictures, Odo. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, I think one of the early frictions between these two characters is Retla's like, yeah, I know you already did a bunch of interviews of suspects, but I'm just going to want to go ahead and re-interview all those suspects <laughs> uh, using my mind-reading abilities. You don't mind, do you? I think after after Lieutenant Toast, Odo is used to like dealing with the indignities of the Federation sending someone to sort of look over his shoulder. Right, but as they're talking about this freedom that Ratlaw has, uh, Odo's given word of more bodies being found on the station. More Ferengi bodies. Yeah. The Ferengi are dropping like flies around here, and um, they were people sent by the Grand Nagus to help with the investigation, actually. <laughs> they were to the Ferengi Alliance what Ratlaw is to the Federation. They talk about the murder weapon used here and the poison darts thing. When I saw this again, I was like, oh, yeah, this, this is not unlike the, uh, the Claymore mine used in the, in the restaurant earlier. Like, it's a very right. particular weapon. And the dart itself just made me laugh to think about before turning to the page where Retlaw himself is like, this is so fucking stupid. Like, who uses darts? <laughs> Honestly. <laughs> We're in agreement, me and Retlaw. Yeah, yeah. He's starting to win us over yeah. early, early in this issue. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so obviously the Ferengi Alliance is going to be pissed. And so this is uh, this is when Retlaw wants to like start to kick off the re-interview pro- project, and uh, they start with Quark. This is such a power move by Odo because he's like, "Sure, you can interview anyone you want," and then he takes him directly to the most hostile interview <laughs> subject first, the one that he knows that he'll ne- that Retlaw will never get a read off of anyway, just to yeah. set the tone. Yeah, and the tone is like. How dare you? I have rights. Uh, Quirk goes completely ham in this in this scene. Odo is so passive aggressive in this choice. I love it. <laughs> it's really your way. Yeah, <laughs> I really admire that about him. So uh, that's not not a super fruitful line of inquiry. So the next stop they make is uh, in the holding cells where um, the Nausicaan. Uh, dude is is being cast. Bruno, human. <laughs> Play dominoes, human. Win can of mackerel. Have sex with corner of my cot, human. <laughs> yeah, this guy. Uh, this guy's a little less uh, verbal than he was in an earlier scene. What I love here, though, is like when Retlaw's brought in, they give him a series of panels that just punches in on his face. <laughs> this is like this is the uh, the visual technique the comic uses to tell us that he's going in that mind. He reading, yeah, and 
<laughs> and I, I love that the Nausicaan is like is like too dumb to realize what's going on. Right. He's like he's like you're just gonna stare at me, bro. Like I'm not intimidated by that. <laughs> I was a little disappointed that Retlaw got what he needed off of him right away instead of being horrified at what goes on in a Nausicaan brain at any given moment and what they're thinking about. <laughs> it's just it's just all billiards games in there. <laughs> <laughs> what he does get is a name out of this Nausicaan's brain, and uh, he's a Starfleet Ensign, Ensign Schrader. So they got to pick that guy up. This is a... An interrogatory McLaughlin group. Issue one. And uh, the captain is there for this. It's uh, It happens in the in the wardroom. They've kind of got him dead to rights. Like, he is always the dude that's working flight control when this Nausicaan ship shows up. He's put a bunch of software into this Landing that- pad. Human. <laughs> Ducking clam. Human. <laughs> Airlock, human. Schrader's got to be really cool with with Nausicaan treatment, right? Mm-hmm. Like, if you're going to be involved in this in this bit of criminal activity, you can't be insulted by how Nausicaans treat you. You have to be have a pretty thick skin, huh? I think so. Uh, I mean, this guy seems really like dead inside in a way that's. <laughs> it's, it's like really creepy and left kind of unresolved. Like yeah. there's a there's a moment when they walk out of there where Retla is like, "What the fuck? That guy like that guy had like internal mind shields or something. Like how did he even do it?" I thought for sure the reveal would be that Schrader's a founder or Schrader's Schrader's a data or something. But he like he says he says it's not like Odo. Yeah. It like Odo is it, like might as well not be there to Retlaw as far as emotions go, and he can tell that Traitor's there, but he can't get past that, you know, that the basic fact of that, and that really creeps him out. And I, I was really shocked that the book didn't uh, go into that at all. It's interesting how inability to read someone is transposed into creep or creepy yeah. in a way that like. That's all you and I have ever known. Like, it's it's for for Retlaw, it's creepy not to know someone's thoughts. But that's yeah. that's the only thing that a that a human ever knows about anyone else. So they go to visit Plain Simple Garrick in his uh, tailoring shop, and uh, one of the issues that Retlaw has been frustrated by is that there isn't a lot of like surveillance footage that they can pull from around the station to see why you know you know like who was around when poison darts went into a couple of Ferengis or whatever and uh, Odo explains that the Cardassians just don't use them mm-hmm. that's not like really a way that they uh, do security on Deep Space Nine which I was like really isn't isn't like haven't we seen surveillance cam footage all over Deep Space Nine and also like it's okay to make improvements once you move into the station right like, right, like the, the point is made that like we're trying to honor the cultural yeah. authenticity of this space by not doing <laughs> yeah I mean like Garrick isn't isn't trying to honor anything because he put he put surveillance cameras up in his in his shop how dumb do you have to be to do something criminal in the shop of the most dangerous person on Deep Space Nine <laughs> this is like choosing to sell drugs in the driveway of a sex offender's home like it may be convenient, 
for the both of you, but there's got to be a better location with right. less scrutiny, right? <laughs> yeah, The so Engine Schrader is on some surveillance tape uh, talking to that Vedic from before. What was it? Vedic Teller? Vedic Teller, yeah. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and so they're like, well, that's really interesting. And... Uh, and Garrick has some tea about Teller as well. Uh, it turns out Caden wasn't the only person that enriched himself during the Cardassian occupation. Teller also got his beak wet uh, at that time, so uh, may have uh, may have some 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 stuff going on that uh, that he doesn't want getting out. What do you make of the idea of what seems like a scene of Odo asking permission? to have a conversation with this Vedic. Like, I understand that Cisco put Odo and Retla on the case here, but is this a permission asking situation or is it just a heads up? I don't know. Yeah, it's, it, it's an interesting scene because it doesn't seem to push the narrative. I mean, there's conflict in it, right? Because Kira doesn't like the idea of a Vedic getting... Yeah. Treated like a suspect at all. I don't know. It seems like you could make the case that we're just having a conversation to gather evidence. It doesn't make anyone a suspect just to have a conversation. Yeah. A very funny thing happens between this conversation and their interview with the Vedic, which is like they almost get hit with poison darts themselves and then almost <laughs> nothing is made of it. They just continue on to where the Vedic is. Who did that? Oh, well. <laughs> Let's go ahead and leave these darts stuck in the wall. Also, the darts are like the size of lawn darts. Uh, like, they're so big. Here's a question about Odo. If they had hit him, would they have automatically gone through him? Or would they have stuck in and then he, like, actively turns himself to goo and then they just fall to the ground? Oh, I don't know. That's like, we, we've often wondered, like, can Odo see in every direction? Yeah. Or are the things that he makes look like eyes actually what is doing visual sensory stuff for him? Yeah. Like, it, it doesn't seem as though he would be hurt regardless. So why not have these things go into him? Yeah. Like, what if he just happened to, like, step in front of Retlaw and catch both of them? It's a series of comics that's especially willing to show him get the gold hand out you know like why not why not have him absorb these guys they make it to uh, the outside of where the Vedic hangs it looks like the Bajoran temple actually yeah and um, and the the guy that uh, that we met before the kind of right hand man of the Vedic is is trying to you know hudsucker secretary mm -hmm. them and say you can't go in there he's in he's in meditation and they just kind of barge past. And uh, this is the last page of the uh, of this issue is them confronting Vedic Teller. And, uh, you know, Vedic Teller uh, sort of seems like their man. It's that video from Garrick's that is the evidence for this. Not a good look. To be quite honest about it, that was in a pair. Mr. Bucket, I have to revert back to my At the beginning of the next book, uh, pretty quickly, Vedic Teller is taken back off the list of suspects, though. 
I think my favorite panel in the entire thing is this finger guns panel with with Retlaw. It's so fun. <laughs> the teller does that like I have nothing to hide move and and so Retlaw goes in and comes out real quickly and he's like, sorry, there's nothing in there. That guy is a, a blank slate, almost shockingly empty inside his head. This conversation turns into a confrontation and we get another great image of yelling like yeah. like early on in that first i want to say the first issue we get we got lavin yelling in such yeah. a great and dramatic image and uh, we get the same here with this vedic like turning straight to quote unquote camera and giving it a scream really fun look it is and i think that one thing a theme that they kind of keep coming back to in this book is like under the Cardassian occupation, compromises were made by everyone. Mm-hmm. And I think that like thinking about, you know, what Kira's time during the occupation has been reputed to be and depicted as like she she made compromises of her own, like times when she had to let Bajoran civilians die because it would have compromised you know, resistance operations or whatever, you know, and also just compromises to her own safety and and well-being. Yeah. And people, there were people like Teller and uh, Caden on the other side that made made compromises that made them more comfortable and and more and and more complicit also. And uh, it's hard to know like where the right compromise line is. And this weighs pretty heavily on Retlaw because he's thinking about his home being occupied at the same time. And the people who might be put in the same position, who might have to make difficult decisions based on uh, on their needs. It really blows me away how late in, in this series Retlaw is introduced because he's like, he is such an interesting way yeah. into thinking about those kinds of themes. And they seem to be like a lot of what this arc is about. Right. Retlaw's really worked up an appetite going into and out of all of these mines. And <laughs> I mean, just by looking at him, you can tell he could probably go for a club sandwich. Yeah. Big iced tea. Side of uh, side of steak fries. Corner booth at a diner. Yeah. And uh, so Odo proposes lunch and um, they're, uh, they're sitting there in their booth and uh, Odo says, you know, <laughs> salsa is the second most popular condiment on the station. And Retlaw's like, that's because people like to say salsa. <laughs> Retlaw picks up one triangle of his cut into four pieces club sandwich. And he's like, I don't understand why they cut these sandwiches into four pieces. Do you see how tall this is? The height <laughs> makes the four pieces completely impossible to eat. Look at how messy this is. It's so wasteful. Four of t- those toothpicks with the little plastic fringe at one end. How is a sandwich this so full of things also so dry? So dry. <laughs> you hate sandwiches of all kinds. You've said this. Yeah. You know what I think of when I think about a sandwich? I think of that sandwich from the Fire Festival. Oh, yeah. That's what sandwiches are to me. All all sandwiches are just a styrofoam tray with uh, with a slice of cheese semi wilted lettuce and like one yeah. super underripe piece of tomato yeah you really know what that tastes like by looking at it 
<laughs> you do. It's not something I want to eat. It's such a generalized human experience. Like that <laughs> tomato tastes only one way. And we all yeah. know what that tastes like. It doesn't even really have a taste so much as a texture. Yeah. And the texture is bad. Lavin's diner has been reopened and Lavin's working a shift. They've got her working in sheets. <laughs> We get a really fun series of panels where uh, Retlaw goes into Lavin's mind. We get like ISO on Retlaw's face and then on Lavin's face and then kind of a split screen of Ret Lavin. <laughs> and then you get a series of pages where you come to understand Lavin's anger that boils up in her during the occupation. The anger that she feels toward the collaborator specifically having to yeah. do with the death of her brother. This is uh, another one of our kind of monochrome uh, flashbacks. It's all kind of uh, like bluish grays, except for when her brother is vaporized by a Cardassian guard. That's a searing yellow color. And uh, I thought that was really effective, like the way the... Uh, uh -huh. The like indignity of that was really highlighted in color. About as much indignity as queuing up for uh, a lunch line in a Cardassian cafeteria. Mm -hmm. Pretty bleak moment there, just sliding your tray across those bars. Getting a ladle full of whatever that is. Getting a Firefest sandwich in a piece of styrofoam. Yeah, that is, uh, wow, what a scene. No wonder everyone's yeah. pissed off. On Terok Noor. Yeah. And uh, it drove Lavin to uh, revenge. She, she, is, she is specifically angry at the collaborating Bajorans and the Ferengi who enriched themselves off the occupation. Mm -hmm. And hence uh, the targets of the, uh, of the previous killings. And, and also like the killing started to like kind of give her a purpose in a way like she started doing it she she trained for years to do it and then by the time she's killing like a delegation of Ferengi uh, diplomats she's like well this is great and so the next Ferengis that show up on <laughs> at the that station, point what's the difference <laughs> yeah she starts uh, she, she had starts to get it on the poison dart caper with the other two Ferengi and uh by the time uh, Retlock comes back out of her brain, I think she knows and he knows yeah. what she knows. He's, his eyes widen. He is shocked yeah. by what he's seen in there. Like, so much more violence in in her mind than any Nausicaan. <laughs> yeah, he was like, those guys are mostly table games. What the <laughs> hell is wrong with you? <laughs> That's a warrior race. Lavin takes off. Yeah, she does that thing where she knocks the coffee over on the table to cause a little chaos, and then she breaks out. Uh, a lady running around with a steak knife, too much for the assembled security forces of Deep Space Nine. She gets a head start, <laughs> and she is out of there. Yeah. This all happens really fast, and I kind of feel like maybe I wanted, like, two more pages of just, like, action mm -hmm. illustrations, because there's... There's a couple of moments, like there's a moment where like Odo's huge gold hand is wrapped around her and she's got the knife up to like stab someone. And then in the next scene, she's got the knife at a guy's neck yeah. and Odo doesn't have huge gold hand. And I'm like, well, why didn't he just grab her when he had huge gold hand? Do you think there was, like when you're writing Odo as a character, you get you get your writers together, 
together in the room and you're kind of breaking him as a character. The things you can do, the things you want to do, the things, no matter what, we cannot do. <laughs> yeah. I think Big Gold Hand is a no-fly zone for Odo. I think everyone yeah. in the room recognizes how silly that looks. Like He can't be Reed Richards, right? Right. Right. And and there's a lot of potential for Odo to just be Reed Richards and It works so much better in a comic than it ever would on TV, I think. Like you if Big Gold Hand were on the TV show, it crosses over into silly. It's too yeah. silly. I wonder like what his level of strength is. Like if he gets really big, does his ability to like manipulate objects reduce because he's spending so much of his energy on bigness? <laughs> Like, he throws out that big gold hand and he accidentally makes it, like, a right instead of a left. So, he has two right hands and he's, like, really, he's, like, knocking oh, shit around. crap. This always happens. So disoriented. He would have to be a kind of ambidextrous, right? His whole body so. would have to be ambidextrous. Yeah. Well, uh, he cannot catch her in, in this initial moment and she uh, she like runs down the promenade and into the engineering like maintenance section and um, this is actually good because they can kind of like close her off in there and then smoke her out. O'Brien's in there like wheeling a cart full of plate glass windows across <laughs> the hallway as she passes and you just know Mm -hmm. All of those plate glass windows are going to get broken during this chase. Yeah. Bowley and Wayne and Garth uh, walk by and go, what are you guys doing? <laughs> yeah. Uh, human Ottoman Miles O'Brien ends up uh, tripping her up for a moment. Uh, but she's also like stashed an arsenal back in the maintenance section, which That's is like wanna great do. work, O'Brien, like not catching on to the gun lockers that are apparently all over your work area. <laughs> yeah, that's not a good look for Miles. She starts licking shots. She's uh, she's shooting at Odo and Retlaw. She like welds, a, she, she has like a welding torch and she like cuts her way out of the maintenance section. They're like trying to like close off all the entrances and and exits and uh, and she cuts her own, her own way. It's a pretty fun like first blood style escape because like we're cutting back and forth between how deft she is at escape and how pre-planned all of this was. And Retlaw is like just describing what he's seen in her mind as being reasons for this to go down the way that it has. Yeah. He says, uh, Odo, before we go much further with this investigation, we should stop off at the Replomat and get a good supply of body bags. <laughs> <laughs> yeah she is less about escape and more about arriving at the end boss of her plan like she's not yeah. running away is what we find out she's running toward quarks because yeah. at the top of her list is killing him killing quark is the goal i'd like to file a complaint she's gonna have to go through more to do it <laughs> <laughs> Morn whips his bar stool around and just like kicks her ass. Yeah. And is talking the whole time. It's very loquacious these last four or five pages. Like almost all the dialogue is coming out of Morn. Right. I don't want to summarize it here because I want people to buy and read this comic. Yeah. Odo walks in basically like with his golden hand flapping behind him. 
like he <laughs> like he was unable to like uh hose reel it back into his body <laughs> i like that he's kind of using it to like do crowd control yeah. on one side he's like pushing the crowd but also grabbing her like a like king kong grabbing a, a lady <laughs> If you wanted to, could you grab a scoop of him, you think? Hmm. How much pressure would he push back with, you know? I don't know. I, I wish they'd done that with Kira. Like, let me get a little scoop of you on him letting... Because I think he he could probably stop you if he, if he didn't want you to take a scoop. But I feel like he could... I mean, he gave like the doctor a little sample that one time, right? Where he put his finger in the, in the uh, test tube. I mean, that's how you know... Odo likes you. <laughs> when when you're dating Odo, Odo leaves himself on you. Yeah, you you open the medicine cabinet and you watch the uh, the second toothbrush melt. Yeah, <laughs> it's just my way of being closer to you. Twice a day. So uh, he kind of knocks her over. She's got this huge rifle. Uh, he knocks her over. Retlaw grabs the rifle and like bonks her on the head with it. And they're arresting her. Quark is very apologetic to Morn, who's a drunken hang at the bar has been interrupted. I love that Morn and... never turns around. There's a lot of shit happening just over his shoulder. Yeah, he's like one of the few people that doesn't get up and scramble away from the bar to try and get out of the line of fire. Deep Space Nine is such an interesting location for a gunfight with all of its height and places to hide and little, you know, crawl spaces and shit. You rarely ever saw a gunfight there. Yeah. You saw a lot of, like, people with guns, but never, like, you know, somebody shooting from the upper level, you know, and, like, running yeah. and ducking. Deep Space Nine should have had a Wilhelm scream every six episodes. Just a guy <laughs> going over that top rail. What you doing now? Exactly. So we get uh, some surveillance footage of Lavin. Uh, you know, like head and hands sitting in the corner of a, I don't know if this is the detention area or what, but she's been arrested and the doctor is explaining like we would normally like be, put her like right into psychiatric treatment. But like, I don't really even know if she's treatable given how far beyond normal she went. She's clearly upset that the Nausicans won't shut up in the cell next to her. <laughs> it's driving her mad. As if she wasn't mad enough re already, they're like, Dom, Perignon, human, celebrate being freed <laughs> for crime we did not commit. Uh, who owns Lavin's right now? Like, do you think it's closed? Where does, uh, where oh, does yeah. Redlaw go and get a club sandwich? I think uh, Quark probably snatches it up cheap, right? I think you want to diversify the portfolio. You want to sell both food and beverage, right? Yeah. And uh, it's like show show your receipt for a, a full dinner at Laffin's for a ten percent discount off your bar tab at Corks. Oh yeah, that's how you do it. That's how you cross pollinate the businesses, man. Go to a second location with a Ferengi. That's good fun. Uh -huh. <laughs> They're watching this footage of Lavin and and Bashir and Kira, Odo and Retlaw are like, man, she's pretty fucked up. 
and they all agree that the people who tend to snap the hardest are the ones who feel the most. And this is a this is a thing that really makes Retla stop and wonder what's happening to his own people. Like people who are known for their deep feelings. Like what sort yeah. of trauma must this be doing to them and how many Lavin-like people will the occupation produce uh, on Beta Z? That, that little frame down in the corner of that page felt like what the whole four books was really about. Yeah. Like much more so than it being an Odo story. It felt like it was a Retlaw story and him have like I I really liked this this series because I I felt like the occupation of Beta Z was mentioned mm-hmm. like fairly frequently in those uh in the Dominion War arcs on Deep Space Nine, but it like we never really got to see what it meant to people. It, yeah. It was it was a tactical fact, not a thing that people were coping with and and dealing with on an emotional level. I think it took advantage of what we know and like about Beta Z as a place. Like it's just very easy to imagine a place so beautiful with such kind people. Like yeah. if you were to say that that place has been occupied, you immediately have a feeling about it that that speeds along the story that the series was trying to tell at the time. I mean, I just always go back to thinking about what would happen if a Jem'Hadar found that plant with that white goo that comes out of it, and would they think that it was possibly a substitute for Ketracel? Yeah, I mean, you know he's just going to put his scaly mouth around that thing. Yeah. Start trying to chug. Suck, suck, suck. Yeah. So we get a little... uh, a little final hang with uh, the captain and Kira and Dax and Odo. And uh, the captain's like, well, great work on that investigation, Odo. Uh, It was not easy, but you got your man. And Odo is saying like, I don't think I could have done it without Retlaw. That was actually a really great collabo. Yeah, I mean, Odo is that kind of manager who who shares the credit and takes the blame, right? Like the best kind. So this is a good moment for him. But, uh, you know, Retlaw in his own right makes sure to apologize to Odo before leaving the station about being such a jerk when he first met. And this was another moment of sadness for me where Odo's like, people do it all the time. (laughs) I mean, it's kind of a thing when you're me. People have ideas about you. Hey, amazing to to think that Odo deals with that all the time and keeps his faith in solids as much as he does because that's kind of the the point he ends on is like you are a people that are quick to judgment but you are also capable of growth and i i admire that about you you know to save this for the very last page of the book and to realize that the thing that forced lavin to snap is something that odo probably experiences every day yeah that he just stuffs well, and I also thought about the fact that the changelings have this amazing ability to change what they look like and become whatever they want. And, and yet they're so calcified in their view of the world. Mm-hmm. Like they, they won't accept any, like any like new information and, and reevaluate uh, their, their awful politics. Yeah. They're very frustrating. You just wish they'd get out of the way. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I I mean, we've talked around it quite a bit. Uh, did you like this graphic novel, Ben? I thought it was a lot of fun. It, I wondered what it would be like waiting a month between 
books because usually the way these are released is like on a monthly basis, right? right? And you go down to your local comic shop and get your new issues. And um, the I'd say especially like between book three and book four, I didn't feel like a huge amount of suspense to find out what happened next. So Mm -hmm. I really liked reading it in this way where I was just kind of reading through and not, I was almost barely aware of where the break was, (laughs) you know? Yeah, I, I agree with you. I, I prefer this format for comic consumption. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's not a terribly science fiction-y story. This is way more Star Trek as a place, as a detective yeah. episode than anything else. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and and I, liked, I liked that about it, too. I thought it, it was a great use of Star Trek as a place. Yeah, I did, too. Nice work. Yeah. Thank you to Felipe for, uh, for sending these to us again. Got two great episodes of The Greatest Discovery out of them. Adam, do you want to see if we have any Priority One messages in the inbox? Yeah, I mean, priority one messages are not a thing that we can form an entire episode around. Uh, no. <laughs> but we'll see what we've got here. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Adam, our first priority one message is of a promotional nature, and it goes like this. If you're on Facebook, I don't remember what Facebook is, but I am told it is a platform without honor. Come join the Greatest Discovery Facebook group. That's where you can discuss anything related to New Trek and the new Star Trek universe. For me, I don't even remember what Old Trek would be. (laughs) Also, Rob says he wants to host an ep while Ben and Adam drink cocktails. Oh, and can we have a road drop? Thanks again, guys. Find The Greatest Discovery on Facebook or go to facebook.com slash groups slash greatest discovery. I love a Kern reference. I love that this message was sent using the Kern kerning. <laughs> yeah, there's a space between the K and the urn in the, in the copy there. Yeah, uh, look, Facebook, bad. Our groups on Facebook, good. Mm-hmm. That's the message here. Yeah. The company Facebook is what is bad, not not Facebook per se. Yeah. Ben, our second priority one message is a personal nature. Yeah. It's from defested, and in parentheses it says, that's me. And it's to Ben and Adam, Adam and Ben. Message goes like this. Here's $100 to tell you that you should do an off-season episode on Futurama Season 4, Episode 11, where no fan has gone before. One of my favorite Futurama episodes. Wow. I tell you what, Defested, done. <laughs> I will absolutely do that. We should uh, we should make that not the next episode, because we have a plan for the next episode, but how about the episode after that? Yeah, we got the, uh, the Max Fun Drive is coming up, and... I think it's a it's a two week max fun drive this year. It is, thank God. Why don't we give the folks a spare greatest discovery for that second week of the max fun drive, and we'll do a Futurama episode. Great. Can it be season four, episode eleven, where no fan has gone before? Uh, let's do season four, episode twelve. All right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Fuck you, defested. 
<laughs> no, thank you, Defested, for getting a priority one message. Uh, that rules. Uh, we will uh, absolutely take your bribe. Uh, but uh, I hope I hope people don't assume that that's going to happen 100% of the time. You know what? I'm looking at our greatest discovery P1 inbox, and I'm like, if that's what it takes to stuff the box, mm. I'm taking requests. I'll be your greatest discovery jukebox. <laughs> okay. Well, I uh, I reserve. I think we reserve the right to veto. Oh uh, yeah. P one requests, but no question. Uh, but I, I I I like this use of the P one inbox. So uh, if you would like to get a P one, head to maximumfun.org/jumbotron, and it's a hundred bucks for a personal message and two hundred for a commercial message, and we really appreciate it. I have tried so many meal services over the years. After all, I am a podcast host. And I gotta tell you, Factor Meals is my favorite. Why? Because I can go from, what am I gonna have for dinner, to eating a great dinner in exactly two minutes with Factor Meals. And don't sleep on their smoothies either. I got six of these in the box this week. Mango, tropical fruit, strawberry or banana. They're all amazing. They're like meal supplements I can enjoy while I'm on the go. Head to factormeals.com slash trek50 and use the code trek50 to get 50% off. Again, that's the code trek50 at factormeals.com slash trek50 to get 50% off. What do you think of when you think of male grooming? Maybe it's a sharp haircut and a little bit of product or a bit of the old beard wax twisted into the ends of a mustache. Maybe it's a shower, a shave little spritz of fragrance. Me? I think of shaving my nuts. And not just my nuts, all around those nuts. I'm talking all around those nuts. And this form of male grooming is hard to do when your junk looks like a log of Play-Doh rolled through a dustpan in a barber shop. It's wrinkly, it's wriggly, nothing stays in place, and it's the one area where you don't want to have an accident. That's why I'm glad we're sponsored by the spring cleaning champions at Manscaped. They sent me their brand new Lawnmower 5.0 Ultra. It's their fifth generation trimmer, featuring two interchangeable next gen skin safe blade heads, a standard one for taking a little bit off the top, and a new foil blade to go smooth wherever your heart desires. They also sent me an extra large Manscaped t shirt, which I will never wear, but it was nice of them to do. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code TREK at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and free shipping with the code TREK at manscaped.com. Nothing like a little spring cleaning in your pants. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. (laughs) Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! 
Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. Hey, Ben. What's that, Adam? Did you discover yourself and Edward Larkin? I think I'm going to give it to Odo for giant hand. Yeah. That's <laughs> like hard to beat. That that one scene where he's got the giant hand like it's like literally like got like his thumb is like about to come down around <laughs> Lavin and she's got the the knife raised up over her hand. He could like literally grab her entire body and just subdue her right then, but instead does not. It lets her like get a guy, get that knife at a guy's neck. Uh that giant hand doesn't seem that useful. <laughs> I think one of the reasons that giant hand wouldn't work on the TV show is the repetition that you get in the comic. I feel like by the second or third time giant hand makes an appearance, Rela would look at it and then look at Odo like again with the hand. Are you going to do something like, with that? <laughs> like you, you've seen other things, right? Like <laughs> you can be other things. I think that's why my Edward Larkin is Retlaw. I love a a character like who's just visiting. He's just passing through. He's just going to hop into a couple of mines and help out where he can. He gets yeah. to exist outside the rules of the location and the characters that we know up until then. And I think that uh, that allows for a freedom that he enjoys throughout and i think it's one of the qualities that makes him a really interesting character he doesn't know what the rules are to this place he's and not only that what rules he thought he had to abide by uh he's been given permission to ignore he's got like a ton of status he's got a mental hall pass (laughs) well adam uh this was really fun uh Next episode of The Greatest Discovery will be the first episode of the Max Fun Drive. I'm really excited about it. Yeah. And uh, do we want to do we want to tell the people what it is? Yeah, let's uh let's hype it. I think this is uh this is a really fun episode for us to do. One of the rare interview episodes that we've yeah. had the opportunity to do uh and it's with a with a favorite of ours from Star Trek Discovery, Mary Wiseman comes on the show and we have a great conversation with her it was over the course of several days uh (laughs) we sat down and discussed just everything under the sun yeah uh she was super cool and really funny and charming and uh it's gonna be i think i think people are really gonna like it yeah Um, that'll be in a couple of weeks and uh the max fun drive we're trying to get 2,000 new and upgrading supporters for the greatest discovery this year and uh, we could really use your help. So if you enjoy this program and want to see it go forward into the future, get ready to support during the Max Fun Drive, which is uh, May 3rd through the 14th. That's right. 
with that, we're going to leave it with Rob's, our uh, intrepid producer of The Greatest Discovery, uh, and uh, a person who gets paid to do that because of your generous support. So take it away, Rob's. Thanks, Rob's. The Greatest Discovery is a Maximum Fun podcast. It's hosted by Adam Pranica and Ben Harrison. It's produced by me, Rob Schulte. And our theme music is by Adam Ragusia. You should go check out his YouTube page. He has amazing recipes that anyone can make. If you're looking for more Trek, we got plenty of episodes in the back catalog that you can check out. We've covered all of the new seasons of Star Trek since Star Trek Discovery Episode 1. You can also listen to our other show, The Greatest Generation. Hey, don't forget you can now follow us on Twitter and Instagram under the handles Greatest Trek. Then head over to The Greatest Trek Twitch account and subscribe there as well. It's great. Those social media accounts are handled by the great Bill Tilly, the card daddy. Thank you, Bill. We really appreciate it. Lots of help there. Like Ben said, Max Fun Drive's coming up. I'm very appreciative of everyone who pledges it. Helps make this podcast a delight. So thanks for listening. And we'll see you in a couple of weeks with a brand new episode of The Greatest Discovery. Fun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.